of our Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to give me your name. Let me lead. All right, everybody, here we go. Three, two. Time to go off script. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm one-third of your hosting team tonight, Mike, and with me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, demon worshippers. Yes, I'm doing very good. How you doing, buddy? Going great. We are T-minus, what, 11 days from Halloween? So, <laughs> October <laughs> is it's flying by. What can I say? Mm-hmm. With us as well, almost always, is Don and Ellie. How are you doing, Don? Hey, what's going on, man? Guys, happy to be here. Alright, well, today we are covering a movie that is now streaming on Shudder. I think it's been there for maybe a couple weeks now, maybe a little less. It's called The Cleansing Hour, and uh, I think this one hit a couple maybe uh, festivals last year. Mm-hmm. but uh, didn't really have a major release until 2020, so that is why we are covering it now. So I will go right over the synopsis on IMDb. Another successful exorcism, in quotes, streamed online, or or so it seems, can the exorcist producer and their team bring the ratings up? Ratings skyrocket when blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, so. God, what is it with these synopsis? <laughs> Giving everything away. I don't. I am so happy. I stopped watching trailers and reading synopses before the movie. Uh, yeah. I, I just feel like I enjoy them so much more. I had no idea what this story was going into it. So the first five minutes was actually a little bit of an adventure. Uh, I'll explain why once we get to the spoiler section. But yeah, it was a uh, it was an interesting journey since I didn't already know the synopsis. Because if I already knew it, then the opening scene is a giveaway, and it's almost not fun in my opinion. So I'm glad I saw it blind. Yeah, I had really no idea anything about this movie other than when it hit Shutter. The few people that had already seen it, either through screeners last year or festivals, said it was fun. I was like, okay, well, hopefully I'll get a fun movie when whenever we get around to it. So is that what we got? Let's find out with general thoughts. So Venom, The Cleansing Hour, what did you think? All right, well, for those who don't know, uh, the exorcism slash uh, demons subgenre is my absolute favorite in horror. So when I found out that this was, or at least just by looking at the poster, it kind of you know implies that it is an exorcism film, I was very excited to get into it. Um, overall, I did enjoy this movie, though I had some major, major problems with the first act. And those problems grew even bigger once I watched the short film of the same name that this film is based on that was released in 2016. Uh, Obviously, 
you know, when you've got independent filmmakers making a short film, uh, you know, it's not going to be effects heavy and have big name actors in it or anything like that. But, it, you know, it usually just gives you a good idea of the writing and directing skills of a particular person, in this case, Damien Levesque. Um, so I do recommend the short if you guys get a chance. It's about 18 minutes long. It is available on YouTube. It's also available on the El Rey app. If you remember a couple of years ago, uh, the El Rey network was airing some horror um, shorts from independent filmmakers as part of their Halloween celebration. All of those are still available online. So like I said, if you get a chance, check out the Cleansing Hour short as well. So as far as the movie goes... Um, once we get to the second and third acts, I have an absolute blast with this film. This is a, I, I agree with everything that the general public has been saying. It's a very, very fun film. I do have to say, though, that the first act is a drag. Um, there's some character development scenes that I feel are absolutely unnecessary. There are... Um, there's a karaoke scene that was fucking painful. It was just cringeworthy. And I had to sit through these two idiots singing an entire goddamn song in karaoke. What this brings to the movie is beyond me. Um, but the thing is, is that one of the things that they establish in that first act is our, our priest or minister of the movie, you know, Father Max. Um, and they set him up to be kind of a piece of shit. And I think that does the, the movie a disservice because it takes away any kind of emotional impact that we have with him later in the film. And I'm pretty sure the filmmakers intended for us to feel for him by the end of the film. But the problem is you spend the entire first act showing us what kind of a womanizing, anti-Christian piece of shit this guy is. He's obviously not a real minister or priest, but, you know, that's the image that he's portraying on his web series, The Cleansing Hour. I honestly thought that the emotional punch of the third act would have been so much more meaningful had you maybe kept his kind of shittiness under wraps a little bit. Don't, don't necessarily make him out to be this angelic, wonderful person, and then in, at the end of the movie it takes a complete left turn and suddenly he's a complete piece of shit. No. Set him up as like a conflicted ex-priest or something. Someone who maybe used to believe but doesn't anymore, or maybe even try to imply early on that he is a real priest and maybe he's doing these things against the church's orders. I don't know. It just would have made for a much more a emotional connection with that particular character because ultimately the movie just makes him seem like a big old douchebag and you know like i said it, i feel like it does that character and the third act a disservice but overall um i did enjoy this movie i really like the effects um i went online and listened to a couple of reviews and it seems like the general consensus is most people do not like the ending of this movie i am going to disagree i love the ending of this movie and there's one particular epitaph at the very, very end of the film, the very final scene, that a lot of people, a lot of movie reviewers are looking at as a knock on Donald Trump. I completely and 100% disagree with that assessment. Um, once we get to the spoiler section and we get to that final scene, I have a much better explanation as to why that scene is in there. It has nothing to do with the current administration. So let's just throw that out there right now. This is not a political statement. I, it, at least I, obviously I can't speak for the director. I don't know the man personally, 
but I'm going to say I 100% believe that the final scene of this movie is not a political statement. It is more a statement about the scope of what is going on in the film. So we'll leave it at that for now until we get to the spoiler section. Um, like I said, uh, we get some some of the exorcism scenes, especially early, early on, are very tropey. You know, you get your basic, you know, holy water singeing the flesh of the possessed. You've got the possessed speaking in tongues, floating in midair, blah, blah, blah. It's just very tropey. Uh, but then once you get the reveal that that first exorcism is actually, you know, a, a web series that's completely fictionalized, um, which isn't a spoiler, you get that in the trailer. So, um, you know, once you get that, that it's completely fake, then as as a seasoned horror viewer, I kind of start to forgive it, you know, realizing, oh, they're just, you know, they're, they're creating this for effect. They're creating this for ratings, blah, blah, blah. That's probably why it's so tropey. That's why it has all the recognizable elements of a standard Catholic exorcism. Um, but then, like I said, once you get the reveal, all is forgiven. But then we spend the next 15 to 20 minutes establishing character that I felt was 100% unnecessary. If we're going to spend the entire film with four or five people in an isolated location, I don't need a 15-minute scene of them in a bar, drinking, hitting on women, singing karaoke. In my opinion, it's just a completely wasted scene. Um, but otherwise, you know, aside from the first act, I love the second two acts of this film. I think two and three are fun. Uh, very satisfying ending, depending on how you look at the, that ending. Um, you know, they do some cool original stuff that I've never seen before in exorcism films. So once we actually get to the real exorcism, you can tell, uh, you know, that it's not all the same tropes, that, that there's different stuff going on, that the, the particular demon that we're dealing with in this film doesn't give a shit about your tropes or entertaining your audience, you know? Um, so I like that. So overall... I enjoyed the cleansing hour. I liked the combination of kind of internet horror and exorcism film. Um, we get a, you know, you, you kind of get a little bit of that with the host, which I know is a movie that's been like universal, not the host, but host from earlier this year, you know, the, the zoom movie that's been getting a lot of praise from people. Um, I personally enjoy the cleansing hour a little bit more. I think I enjoy it's more over the top sensibility a little bit more for me. It's just overall a much more fun film. Whereas host was legitimately scary in certain scenes, legitimately filled with tension. This one is just a fun one overall. You know, you're not really too scared at any particular points, though there are some really gnarly deaths in here, uh, some decent effects. It's not a gore fest by any stretch, but a very fun movie. And a high recommend from me. Uh, I'll cut my general thoughts off there. I've gone long enough. <laughs> All right, Don, what did you think generally of the cleansing hour? I um, I echo a lot of what Venom said. Um, I too had a lot of fun with it. Um, I I found a lot of the exorcism scenes, even the fake ones, kind of fun. Um, there's just sort of like a familiarity to them playing into the tropes and going through all the standard notions that just makes them kind of, you know, endearing, I guess. Um, I do agree the first half is a fucking drag and just absolutely plotting just almost to the point of unbearable, like just uh, get on with it. <laughs> um, 
The second and third are, uh, you know, agreed much more fun because that's where we get the actual point of the film. Um, a lot of the uh, effect scenes are a lot of are really enjoyable. Um, they pull off some really impressive stunts and a couple of really neat powers with the demon that is actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a few niggling issues spread throughout just um, a few things here and there. Basically, a lot of the, you know, if and this is you know a plot point that we'll bring up later. If the actress in question is not playing, is not being possessed, but actually playing a part, a lot of what we get through in the early scenes before we realized she's not doing it for show, she's doing, she's it for real, then a lot of that doesn't make any sense as to not just her, like her actions itself, but the reactions of the crew. A lot of that just seems off for me, and uh, the ending. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I get where Venom is coming at with the scope of the film, and that's one of the few things I like about it. Just uh, there's there's a few things that I want to get into. Um, and maybe we'll it'll just come up naturally in conversation. But, but yeah, by and large, I, I have a lot of fun with it. It's really it's really enjoyable once it gets going. There's a lot to like about it in that regard. Not one of the best of the year, but definitely something to look into. Maybe some of it will like it more than me, but uh, I'm really high as it is. So, uh, yeah, definitely one to check out and one to look into. Okay. So far as uh, far as I go, I'm kind of right where you guys are. I had fun with this one. I think once we kind of get our setup and we're learning our surroundings in the movie, you kind of get the idea of what they're going to run into because once once you kind of see, oh, this is the operation that's being run, you're like, well, then the only, I mean, the natural place for the movie to go is they're going to run into what they run into. Now, once we get there, I had a blast. I thought it was fun. I liked where it went. Obviously, there's subtext going on, or at least they're attempting to, which we'll get into. And then at the end, I think um, Venom already kind of referenced it. It's something we will definitely discuss, which obviously in general thoughts can't get too detailed on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, I had fun with it, though. I mean, it, it accomplished what I was hoping um, going in. You know, it's another one I had no idea about, so I was pretty excited to watch it based on what people said, and um, I, there, there's some, I, I think it's rightfully so to question, like, some of the characters, like, when we get kind of, like, their backstories and, like, what led them to kind of where they're at now, we can get into that in spoilers, but um, overall... A, a 90 minute enjoyable movie that kind of blends a couple genres in a way I guess but um, yeah I would say I mean I would recommend watching it I think it's plenty good enough to recommend to people to check out I think you know people like this one to varying degrees I did it knock it out of the park not necessarily but it definitely uh, was 
good enough for me to recommend. Mm-hmm. I think if you go into it knowing what to expect, I think most people are going to enjoy it. Um, you know, once you realize that it's maybe, since it is kind of internet-based, there's going to be a certain amount of, you know, tricks and magic involved, um, you know, camera tricks and whatnot for the viewing audience. Not us, the viewing audience, watching the movie, but the the viewing audience online watching these quote-unquote exorcisms from The Cleansing Hour, which, of course, is the name of the web series that, uh, you know, is in question here. So, um, like I said, I think if you go into it knowing that a little bit more, it'll take away a lot of the cheesiness of that first exorcism. Because, you know, for me, as I'm watching it, I'm just like, what? Like, when the candles all burst into flame, I'm like, come on. I literally was like, oh, my God, is this going to be an hour and a half just trope machine? But obviously, once we get the reveal, once the camera pans back to show that it actually is a web production, um, you know, uh, you get a little bit more humor to it and um, a little bit the, the the suspension of disbelief doesn't become as big a factor at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call this a horror comedy, but there are definitely moments of levity throughout and especially with the demon, once the real demon actually shows up, this demon's actually kind of funny. And once we get the reveal of who the demon actually is at the end, it kind of makes sense that uh, it's kind of funny that the demon actually kind of has a little bit of a wry sense of humor. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, that's, I, I really like it. <laughs> that was something that actually I was debating back and forth about was to whether or not call it a horror comedy. Because a lot of this, is, the comedy is basically based on the tropes but it's not like you know fall out fall down funny where you know you get like the traditional humor that would be found in a horror comedy so it's one of those where i was kind of like going back and forth is this really a horror comedy like really like most people say it is (laughs) so yeah no it's kind of funny that you bring that up because that was one of the issues that i was debating is you know whether or not to actually go into it as a horror comedy Exactly. Like, I don't think the comedy is necessarily very intentional this in this movie. But, for example, right after we have that opening exorcism, this big old intense exorcism, once the camera pans back and we realize that it's not real, there's a conversation between our two main characters, Drew and Max, where Max is concerned about getting his verified checkmark on his Twitter account. That, now... I don't know if that was an intentional attempt at comedy, but it's funny to me because here's this priest who's so vapid and worthless that all he cares about are his social media numbers. So that made me chuckle. So, you know, whether that was an intentional yeah, that, attempt at comedy or not, who knows? Yeah. But I like uh, it. I'll buy that one more as an intentional joke. Yeah. Uh, just because it's just like so outlandish that, you know, this supposedly holier than devout then all person is obsessed with social media in that yeah. manner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'll buy that as an intentional joke, but... <laughs> but yeah. either way, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I did enjoy it. I did, I yeah, did enjoy I, the I, tongue-in-cheek moments. Yeah, they do enjoy movie. a lot of the quips that the demon has throughout oh. the session. Yeah, awesome. those, those are... <laughs> some of them are genuinely funny. Oh, and big time. <laughs> yeah, like, that was, like, the part where I was going back and forth. I was like, is this really actually is like labeling it a horror comedy like really part of what it actually is so yeah no i i do like the back and forth nature of it and like i said you know a lot of the it makes the second half a lot more fun when you get these you know tongue-in-cheek quips and one-liners 
based on what happens. Yeah, a lot of that is what makes the second half so much fun. Yes, absolutely. Alright. Yep. Alright, I think we are ready to kick into spoilers. Alright, so... Um, our movie opens up. Uh, there is an exorcism already in progress. Uh, it's a kind of a, you know, young guy, not, not a kid by any stretch, 20s, 30s, um, tied down to a gurney. Everyone, everyone around him is speaking Spanish, so he must be in some kind of Latin American setting or Hispanic setting. Um, we, we have members of the family in the background kind of crying and saying amen at the priest's request. Uh, and like I said, we get a lot of the same, you know, kind of horror tropes. Uh, the priest will pour holy water on the possessed. Uh, their flesh will singe and smoke will come out of the general area. Uh, blood will start coming out of, like, the top of their head from no apparent wound uh, while they're spouting, you know, Latin and other, you know, uh, languages that the possessed shouldn't know. Uh, at one point, the gurney moves by itself and actually knocks the priest down, which is, you know, kind of cool and different to see the possessed tied down but still being able to attack the exorcist. Um, eventually, you know, the, the priest figures out, as is the, the modern-day exorcism trope, uh, he figures out the name of the demon once he once he speaks the name of the demon, uh, very much like The Conjuring 2, the exorcist now has dominion over this demon because they know their name, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they spout off a couple of other, you know, lines uh, from the text, and the demon is dispelled. Um, you know, everybody starts to celebrate. The gurney falls back down on the... Uh, at, at one point, the gurney actually stands up on its end, almost like it's floating on its own, so that was kind of a cool-looking effect. But obviously, as I said, uh, once the exorcism is over, the camera pans back and shows that we are on a set, uh, you know, with actors and lights and everything else. And, you know, the priest basically, or Father Max at this point, just says, all right, congratulations, everybody. We pulled off another one. And everybody instantly, you know, gets jovial and happy and, you know, starts applauding. Then we get to uh, the intro conversation between Max and Drew. They are obviously old, old friends who decided to start the cleansing hour as a way to, you know, uh, generate some capital for themselves. Um, but they obviously have kind of a tenuous friendship. Uh, Drew is obviously the very, like, on time, you know, uh, very down-to-earth, down-to-business kind of guy. He wants to get everything done, whereas Max is obviously the rock star of the whole thing. He shows up late to productions, which, of course, upsets Drew because, you know, he'll show up five minutes before they're supposed to go on live on the Internet, which, of course, causes tension. Uh, and then we get that little conversation we talked about with the priest being happy that he finally hit five million followers on Twitter, but he still doesn't have his blue verified checkmark which, you know, he, he kind of, it seems to be, a, no pun intended, kind of his holy grail for, you know, for uh, to kind of justify um, everything that he's doing. And basically we go to an after party where we see Father Max, uh, our sound man, one of our PAs named Eddie. We see Drew, basically everyone involved with the production just at this bar, having drinks, enjoying themselves. 
at one point, these two women, a black woman and a white woman, walk up to Father Max, introduce themselves, obviously very into him. Uh, we get a little bit of a, a attempt at humor where everybody scoots down on the bench seating that they're all at. And Drew is at the end, and he ends up getting pushed right off the bench onto the floor. And, you know, he just starts, he gets up, he talks to everybody. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not important. Uh, when he realizes that no one is paying attention to him, no one is speaking to him, it's like he's invisible, he basically just goes, all right, I'm going to go home and just uh, go, you know, fuck myself. Uh, you guys have a fun night. No one even notices him leave. You know, like I said, he's like the the manager that nobody really wants to have fun with. He's the business guy. So, of course, he's the no fun guy as well. Um after the bar scene, it's the next morning. We see that Father Max took the black girl home with him. They are in bed naked, and, you know, they have a little bit of an exchange about, you know, are you a real father? I mean, you took me home. It doesn't seem like a very priestly thing to do. Uh, but then he jumps back into bed with the girl. The girl goes down on him, Um while she's servicing him, he ha he starts to see, like, gray hair come out from underneath the blanket, and he actually questions the girl, are you wearing a wig? And when he pulls the blanket off, there's this, you know, basically dead woman with a missing eye who kind of lunges at him, which, of course... It feels like the, shi the shining bathtub woman moment. Kinda, yeah. You could say the shining bathtub, the gypsy from Drag Me to Hell... You know, showing up at random times, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, definitely a, a decent little jump scare, you know, very um, by the numbers. But um, anyway, after he gets scared, he jumps out of bed and just decides, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get ready for my day. No more sex for today. Uh, we then see um, Drew and uh, Lainey, I think was her name, right? Uh, Lane, just Lane. By the way, this actress's name is fucking spectacular. Uh, Alex Angelis. Is that just a great actor name? Uh, I I hope she I hope she does well. It's an awesome name. I'm not sure if it's real or if that's like her sad yeah, name. Yeah, on her birth certificate. Yeah, exactly. And Alex is spelled with an I too. It's A L I X. So Alex Angelis. So yeah, pretty cool. So anyway, uh, Drew and Lane are basically you know in their apartment. Uh, you know, getting ready for the day's shoot. Uh, Lane announces to Drew that she's accepted a job with a Hollywood production out of town and that she's going to be leaving uh, the cleansing hour. Uh, Drew doesn't take the news ultra great because he thought that they would, you know, um, continue to work together on the cleansing hour. By the way, I did forget to mention they are engaged and living together in this scene that I'm talking about. So, um, she lets him know that she is going to accept the job in Hollywood and that she will be stepping away from the cleansing hour. But Drew uh, basically talks her into working with them one more time. As it turns out, their female actress, their possessed actor for the evening um, calls off or doesn't show up one or the other. And he talks Lane into basically sitting in the chair and being the possessed woman for this particular production. She reluctantly agrees. Um, obviously her first mistake of the film. <laughs> um, then the movie goes to Los Angeles. It shows that we are in Los Angeles and that um, they're setting up their 
their their exorcism for the evening. We see a young blonde pretty girl who has just been hired as a PA assistant. It turns out that she's the niece of the sound man. Um, I actually forgot the sound man's name. Uh, Tommy, maybe? Something like that. I think it's Tommy. Um, And he's like a big, burly, biker-looking guy. He's the official sound man, or the sound recordist. Um, And effects. Actually, that's right. He does more of the effects and lighting. I'm sorry. It's the kid who takes the ecstasy who's the sound man. Um, Yeah, uh, basically, Eddie is this little kind of vaguely Hispanic-looking kid who the night before at the bar took something, either ecstasy or LSD. He took something, and apparently he's still showing effects of it the next day. Um, And then, oh, we actually do get a scene of the planned actress, the woman who was supposed to be uh, the possessed uh, girl in this scene, they show her trying to find the warehouse that they're filming at. It's obviously in not the greatest neighborhood, and it is nighttime in Los Angeles, so she gets terrified. Uh, she ends up seeing someone. Um, at, it looks like it's just another homeless person. They're dressed in rags, but they're crab walking, uh, walking on all fours, very, walking towards her very slowly, As the woman walks away, she pulls out her cell phone to try to call somebody from the production, but you can see static on the phone. The phone doesn't work, and there's a message that says, call failed. At that moment, our actress turns around, realizes that this crab-walking homeless person is still after her, and she basically just says, fuck it, I'm out of here, and takes off completely. Um, I don't... Does she actually get killed, or does she get away? I don't remember. the the last thing I remember is just her running away from that crab walking, you know, what looks like a homeless person. Obviously, once the movie moves along, we realize uh, that was no accident. Um, They purposely kept that actress out because someone or something wants Lane to be uh, the subject for the night. So, you know, then we get the scene with them talking and, uh, you know, Drew convinces Lane to be the subject for the night. Now, at this point, we actually start going to different parts of the country where there are people tuning in to the cleansing hour. Um, The show, tonight's episode, is about to start in like five to ten minutes, and there's already people uh, tuning in. We see a little boy from a very rich family sitting at a a large dining room table with his rich white parents. He's kind of watching the show on his tablet at the dinner table. We see a um, we see the two girls from the night before, the black girl that Father Max took home with him and her white friend there at another bar also watching the cleansing hour. Um, basically, it looks like just the hardcore fans of the show are, you know, are, are tuning in to watch it. Uh, We see the girls from the previous night um, talking about what happened. The white girl, you know, calling the black girl a hoe because she went home with a priest. And then the black girl's like, hey, you could have gotten in on it, too. He wanted both of us. And she she obviously is very skittish, kind of a good girl, even though she is dressed a little scantily for the evening. But, you know, whatever. Um, and then we also see a girl who is stranded in the desert with her boyfriend or husband. She's watching uh, the cleansing hour on her cell phone while her man is changing the tire on their car. 
Um, and then, you know, we, we, we get a few more, you know, shots like that of just random people throughout the city. I think eventually we get to, we get to like a kitchen of a restaurant where most of the of the staff, the kitchen staff is watching the exorcism except for one or two people. So uh, we'll get back to all those. They will play an important role in our movie later on, even though we don't get names or any kind of character development. It's just random people watching uh, the episode on their phones or tablets or whatever. So uh, we go back to the production. It is now two minutes before airtime. We see Drew strapping down um, laying his fiance into the chair, basically giving her instructions, uh, putting an earpiece in her ear so that he can give her live um, direction and commands, things like that, things that she can do to make the possession a little bit more convincing, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's literally a, um, less than a minute before we're about to go live, and Father Max still has not arrived, which, of course, is you know giving some people... Uh, some tension. We then get introduced to the Devil's Database, which is basically a website that Drew uses to get uh, both the names of random demons that they can use for the episode and also the actual like incantations. Because apparently in this world, all demons have different rites of exorcism. You have to chant different things for different demons to, to exorcise them, so... Um, so as he's introducing um, uh, the um, the effects guy's niece, I believe her name was Riley. Um, as he's showing Riley the devil's database, Riley gets bored and walks away and then trips over a set of cables, which Drew then admonishes her for because um, basically it's set up that these are the main uh, cables that are sending the signal out to the servers so that people can watch it online. So it's been established that these are like the main cables. Like we can't lose these cables for any reason or we lose our feed. So um, it's about a minute before we go live and our and Father Max finally shows up. <clears throat> when he shows up, he sees Lane in the chair and basically says, whoa, what is going on? Why is she in the chair? Um, pretty much establishing that these two have had some kind of relationship in the past. Lane acts like she's not very happy to be working with Max, so, you know, they're trying to set up maybe a reveal later on of how they know each other and dislike each other now. But Drew, obviously, as the producer, is just concerned with the production and get every, everything up on time. Um, so after a little bit of a pep talk, they go live, they are on time, uh, they play their intro for the cleansing hour, and Father Max, uh, Max Tyler is his full name, Father Max comes out and does his little introduction where he introduces the possessed. Uh, they don't call her Lane for the production, they call her Sabrina, and they even start the hashtag Save Sabrina, which starts to trend instantly, obviously. Um, it, it seems like uh, the production starts with around 50,000 viewers, um, and we watch that number grow as the movie goes along for obvious reasons. So um, after our, our Father Max gives our introduction of Sabrina, she's a, a girl who was sexually abused by her father, physically abused by her mother, locked in her room, and now she is the subject of this demon's possession. Um, oh, we also, <laughs> uh, one of the groups of people that we actually follow or that we watch 
watching the cleansing hour are these two awesome South Korean police officers who are in their car. Uh, the younger of the two is the one who's watching the cleansing hour on the phone. And then the older police officer basically says, eh, I don't like that. Those reality shows, those are dumb. And uh, the younger... too old school for it. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, The younger officer says, oh, you should watch it. You'll like it. And the officer says, nah, I like the Mindy Project. (laughs) Which, I don't know why that was so funny to me, but it definitely did tickle me. This weird show starring Mindy Kaling apparently is this uh, South Korean police officer's favorite TV show. So go figure. So I thought that was kind of cool. Then we go back to the production and, uh, you know, the, the priest has started his, you know, kind of his spiel, you know, the, the chants that he's doing. Um, one funny thing is during the during the webcast, they actually will periodically have ads pop up on the on, you know, on the stream. One of them that I thought was kind of funny was they're selling Vatican approved exorcism cloths, which I don't think that's a thing. I'm not a cat. I'm not really a practicing Catholic, but I'm pretty sure that's not a thing that you can buy Vatican approved cloths online, at least of all from the cleansing hour store on their website. So yeah, yeah a lot of this is a lot of this is <laughs> the stuff that I was talking about earlier where it, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like whether or not the joke is funny or not, but yeah, a lot of this was just gold popping up in on the sides and the, like the adverts and yeah, yeah oh the like pop-up that. ads were all awesome yeah i thought they were very entertaining they added a sense of um i mean it's funny but it also adds a sense of realism cuz obviously any of us that have been on the internet are annoyed when we're watching a video and a pop-up ad jumps out right on top of the video so yeah uh, i thought that was kind of clever um at this point the father uh, father max pours holy water on sabrina slash lane for the first time, obviously, uh, we get the bubbling effect. It starts to bubble. Uh, we see that there's a smoke machine connected to the chair. So earlier in the first exorcism, when he poured holy water on the guy and smoke arose, we now see how that's happening. It's just a special effect that was rigged up. But, uh, but as the priest is speaking, Eddie, the sound man, starts to pass out. Uh, first, the, uh, his boom mic gets into the shot, and once Drew realizes that the boom mic is in the shot, the camera goes to Ed, and uh, he basically passes out. Um, obviously, they're live on camera, so they scramble to get somebody else to hold the boom mic. They tell, um, is his name Ed? I think it's Ed. Or is it Julio? I'm just going to say sound man. So basically, the, the sound man... Uh, he ends up walking to the bathroom to kind of wash his, uh, to sp- splash some cold water on his face. And while he's in there, uh, the water coming out of the faucet turns to blood, which obviously freaks him out. Uh, you know, he's looking down. There, There isn't blood all over his face like he wiped his face with it because he had already splashed cold water on him. But basically, he just realizes as he looks down that there is blood coming out of the sink. And when he looks up and looks into the mirror, he's got this really gnarly, like, burning flesh effect going on on his face. Like, 
parts of his face look like they're literally a cinder, like not on fire like flame, but like it's burning underneath the crevices of his skin. So you get that cool crackling kind of almost lava effect. And then just as he notices that and he reaches to go touch his face, two hands come out of the mirror grabbing him, which put, uh, basically makes him fall down. He hits his head on a pipe and he's out cold for the foreseeable future. So uh, we go back outside to the production and it's very obvious that Lane is not following the script. She's, uh, she's yelling very loudly, very demonic yells. Um, at one point, the father uh, pours the rest of his holy water on top of her, and there's no effect, no smoke effect. Uh, Lane or Sabrina doesn't, you know, react. She basically just uh, starts fucking with the priest and, you know, basically starts laughing, starts, um, you know, playing around. And basically at one point... She uh, rips off all her nails like she's her hands are tied to the chair, obviously, but then she grips the, the, the handles of the armrests of the chair so hard that she like rips all her nails out. It's pretty gnarly effect. It's actually really quick. You only see it for a second. At this point, for the rest of the exorcism, now Lane's eyes are glossed over. They're basically very gray looking, almost zombie like, but not quite. And then she starts speaking in that doubled voice effect. And everybody on the set instantly realizes, oh shit, I don't think this is uh, fake. There's something going on that we didn't plan for. Um, she starts, um, Sabrina, as the demon, starts giving orders. Basically saying, if you cut the feed at any point, I will kill her. If, if, if the father walks out of camera shot at any point, I will kill her. If anybody from the production comes on set and tries to interfere, I will kill her. Um, obviously, not everyone is on board with what's going on. Um, so the, uh, the effects guy that we were talking about earlier comes on um, comes on set and starts talking to Lane saying are you okay what's going on um, the the guy has flame tattoos on his arms the classic like you know just classic car flames running up both of his arms um, Lane or Sabrina as the possessed girl comments on his tattoos said ooh those are nice flames and literally as soon as she says that our effects guy bursts into flame just out of nowhere. Very hereditary, if you remember the scene in Hereditary, where the husband just bursts into flame out of nowhere. Same thing here. He bursts into flame. Um, everybody starts um, scrambling to try to put the fire out. The, the priest grabs like a fire blanket, one of those big, large blanket, blankets, throws it on top of the effects guy, but it instantly bursts into flame. Almost like, you know, there's just no way we're going to be able to save this guy. Finally, um, the effects guy's niece, the pretty blonde, grabs an actual fire extinguisher off the wall. She goes to put the fire out, but instead of the chemical extinguisher material coming out, it literally is a flamethrower. She's literally torching him even more when she's trying to put him out. Uh, eventually, the effects guy does pass away and just falls to the ground uh, in this heap 
of just burnt flesh. He's basically just all black, covered in third-degree burn. He's dead. And that's when the uh, the demon finally comes up and says, okay, I challenge you, Father Maxi. There's 5-0, 50 minutes left on this live broadcast. If you can figure out my name and exercise me, I will leave and I will not bother anyone else. But if in the course of the next 50 minutes you can't figure out who I am, I'm, I'm killing this girl. Again, with the same threat, I'm going to kill Lane. Um, so obviously throughout, throughout the exorcism, uh, the demon might say one or two things that kind of clues Drew into who the demon might be. He basically, as the demon speaks, he collects information. Like at one point, the demon says, I see all. I see everything, which instantly makes Drew thinks that it's some kind of oracle demon that's, you know, all seeing, all knowing. So he looks up demons that fit that um, description, and we end up with a list of like five or six different demon names. Um, they're not, obviously, they're not going to go through all five names individually. They need to find out what the actual demon name is so that they can both get dominion over the demon and then find the right passage of exorcism to exorcise the demon. Um, basically, um, the, uh, the demon at one point challenges Max to basically confess his sins, tell the truth. Now, of course, Max plays it off and says, what sins? I'm a, I'm a priest. What sins do I have to uh, you know, to confess, the demon looks right at him and basically says, "Oh, I think you know what I want you to say." Blah blah blah. Um, after a while, uh, the basically what ends up happening is the father starts um, confessing some very low-level sins, like you know he's a womanizer. Blah blah blah. Not the big stuff that the demon's looking for. And then the demon finally says, "Okay, what well, you know what?" let's ask the audience what you should do for penance. And literally the, the audience is all people on the web watching and they all start, you know, uh, basically trolling the production, basically saying, Oh, get naked. Oh, you know, uh, take, take Lane's clothes off, you know, basic internet troll bullshit. Um, eventually at the end of the quote unquote poll, the most popular answer is get naked. And, yep, just as the poll says, um, the demon tells Father to strip completely naked. Drew basically assures him that he's going to keep the camera shots high and tight so that none of the viewing audience will be able to see anything. And the father goes ahead and relents and starts taking off his clothes. At this point, the father is completely naked and but the camera every time drew changes the camera aspect to make it just that top that high tight shot the camera changes on its own showing the full wide shot so no matter what drew does father max will be completely butt naked on the internet and he is at this point again um we go back to other people watching throughout the film we're going to go back to, to watch some of the random people who are watching like the black and the white girl who are watching at the bar at one point some guy walks up to them to kind of hit on one of them but then when he looks on their cell phone and sees what they're watching he just does that nope 
and turns around and walks away. So once again, some mild levity there, and it turns out to be comically uh, a little comical. Um, at this point, once again, we go back to the production, and suddenly a scat. Uh, the uh, Father Max is butt naked in front of the demon who is strapped to the chair. And a scaffolding, a small square piece of scaffolding falls down around the priest. Um, so he's basically trapped by this scaffolding. Then a ceiling fan comes down and lands right in front of him. Doesn't actually hit him, but lands right in front of him and is still spinning. At this point, we hear the Hokey Pokey start playing. Yes, the classic song, the Hokey Pokey, starts playing. And yeah, as, I laughed. I oh, this was great. <laughs> uh, basically, as anybody who knows the song, The Hokey Pokey, it starts out with you put your left arm out, you put your left arm in. Unfortunately, there is a spinning ceiling fan in front of the priest. So he's weary to do it, knowing what's going to happen. But of course, the demon, you know, figuratively has his hands tied. And um, so he eventually relents. He sticks out his left hand, which, of course, gets hit by the fan. It's just a minor injury. It's not like it cuts his hand off or anything crazy. Uh, then it gets to, you know, you, you put your right arm in, you put your right arm out, and he does the same thing again. He puts out his right arm, and it gets hit by the fan, so now both his hands are injured. At this point, Drew decides, fuck this, I'm going to kill the feed. So he goes back to the server room where they've got all their servers set up, and he goes to try to turn them all off, but the demon sends a surge of electricity through the servers, which knocks out Drew temporarily. And at the moment that uh, Drew gets electrocuted, some of the lights out on the production stage uh, burst, leaving glass all over the floor in front of the priest. So you guessed it. The very next line in the Hokey Pokey is, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out. He puts his left foot out and steps on broken glass, which is, of course, extremely painful. Now, at this point, we get the first of our flashback scenes. And what this is, is uh, we get multiple flashbacks of Drew and Max as children. Apparently, these two have been friends pretty much their whole lives. They're very obviously in a Catholic school. Um, they're wearing shirts and ties, and all the teachers are nuns. So um, at the same time that Drew is stepping on broken glass in present day, we're seeing a kind of a punishment session that Drew and uh, Max had to go through, where they had to, uh, they had to recite um, a prayer while kneeling on a board with bottle caps um, nailed to it upside down, so the sharp edges are up. Uh, and basically, if the, if the boys don't recite their prayer properly, the nurse will come behind them and step on their calves, driving their knees even farther into the bottle caps. So eventually, um, Max is so bad at reciting his prayer that there's just blood all over the floor. And like I said, him bleeding in present day from the broken glass in front of him just kind of brings up this flashback. So that's the first of a few flashbacks that we're going to get to Drew and Max's childhood. So at this point, Max is on the ground, butt naked, bleeding from his hands and feet. And um, 
basically uh, they take a break. Like um, Drew puts something else on on the camera uh, while Max puts on his clothes and puts his shoes back on, which of course is excruciating. They show him trying to put his shoes on, but it's it's just really really painful. Finally, Max is completely clothed again, and there's about 36 minutes left in the broadcast. Um, at one point, uh, the blonde girl, the vapid little pretty blonde, actually hears um, the, uh, the demon mention one word. I forget what the actual word was, but the Hebrew translation of the word is lies. Um, and obviously, Drew and Max are both surprised that this cute little girl actually has a brain in her head, so kudos for her. Um, they realize that with that word, lies, that the demon spoke, they realize that um, the demon wants them to confess their sins or admit to their lies. Uh, uh, basustai is the word. Yes, basustai, which in Hebrew means lies. So uh, it's either Hebrew or Arabic. I forget what she... What she um, they show her looking it up on a translator on her phone, and it was either Hebrew or Arabic. But either way, basustai is the word for lies. They put it all together, realize the demon wants them to confess, confess all of their sins, their major ones. Now, throughout the exorcism, as is normal for exorcism films, um, Lane, Lane's personality does come out periodically. Like the demon will allow, if you will, allow Lane to speak in her own voice. And whenever she comes to, it's usually only for a few seconds, but usually what it is is um, just for her to tell Drew, do not kill, or kill the feed. Basically, Lane is trying to get them to kill the feed. The, every time that she comes to and she's Lane, she spouts off, kill the feed, kill the feed, you have to kill the feed. But of course, yeah. the demon already said, if you kill the feed, I'm going to kill her. So, Obviously, because because Lane was like making it prominent about that, like the feed specifically. That's where I started to think, okay, we're getting, we're definitely going to get some subtext here oh, about yeah. <laughs> like a commentary on the people actually watching and maybe how it like might affect them by the end of it. I wasn't like uh, like I didn't know once we get to like you know the end end. I didn't necessarily know that was going to go down, but I assumed from that point that, oh, okay, this is definitely going to turn around on being just as much about the people that are continuing to watch this. Absolutely, yep. All right, so um, once these guys, uh, once Lane comes to and says, you know, kill the feed, kill the feed, the demon takes over uh, instantly, and Lane starts to choke. She's choking on something, no one knows what she's choking on. They're talking about wanting to give her the Heimlich, but unfortunately she's strapped to a chair, so they can't really give her the Heimlich. Uh, there's a big back-and-forth exchange where Drew... Unfortunately, don't forget, Drew has already been told he can't come up on the set, so he can't help his fiance. Eventually, he convinces Max to go and look down her throat to see if there's a blockage or an obstruction, he sticks his fingers down there and realizes, oh shit, there is something down here. And he pulls out this large piece of cloth, kind of dark colored cloth. Doesn't really know what it is at first. Um, it's covered in black slime and goo and all sorts of nastiness. 
Uh, once he unfolds or, you know, undoes the cloth, he realizes it's a cleansing hour. It's an official Vatican-approved cleansing hour exorcism cloth. And that's when Drew makes the realization uh, the demon wants you to tell the truth about what we're doing. Uh, they obviously want us to tell the truth. And Max obviously being, you know, the, the, the rock star of this whole thing, he doesn't want to tell the truth on live television. Um, and by the way, too, don't forget, um, the numbers are going up constantly. Like I said, uh, the, the stream started with about 50,000 viewers. It jumps up to 100,000. It jumps up to a half a million um, I forget the final number, but the final number, by the time the movie's over, the viewership is up in the millions, easily. Um, in the short, in the short from, 19, uh, from 2016, they mentioned the number to be 5 million, that by the time the show is over, 5 million people are streaming, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, that'll mean more to you once you hear how this movie ends, but I don't want to skip ahead. So... Um, after some back and forth between Drew and Max, Max finally relents and tells the truth about um, the cleansing hour. He starts with the merchandise. He says the prayer cloths that are quote-unquote Vatican-approved do not have any healing power. It's just something that we sell on our store. Uh, the holy water that we sell from our web store is only tap water. Basically admitting that everything... Uh, involving the cleansing hour is total bullshit. It's all staged. All the, all the merchandise is fake. Everything about it is 100% fake. At the moment that uh, Max finally gets that all off his chest and starts begging, starts talking about how ashamed, he's is, how, how ashamed he is, um, how embarrassed he is, and he starts basically begging the viewing audience for their um, forgiveness... At that point, um, Lane stops choking, and she is back. Uh, you know, uh, the demon's not in control. Lane is controlled for a short time, uh, while Drew talks about, you know, we're going to get out of this, we're going to get married and live happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, then the, but then she starts choking again. She starts choking all over again, and Max once again sticks his fingers down Lane's throat, to see to see what's uh, causing the blockage, but while Max has his fingers in her throat, we get this really cool shot of Lane's eyes gloss over. So they go from Lane's normal eyes to the demon eyes. Uh, Father Max realizes this and instantly tries to pull his fingers out of her mouth, but he does not get them out in time. She bites down very hard, eventually biting off two of his fingers. Um, she spits out the fingers, and then at the same time, she also spits out what looks like a gold coin. Uh, and the gold coin has Drew's name on it. And that's when Drew realizes, okay, the demon wants me to confess my sins as well. Um, at this point, Drew admits to Father Max that he has been keeping the majority of the money that they've been making from the cleansing hour, that he's been keeping upwards of 70% of the money instead of the 50-50 split they had agreed on. He tries to justify it by saying, I'm always the first one on set. I'm always the last one to leave. You're never on time. You literally do the least of all of us here. And that's why I've been keeping the majority of the money. 
Obviously, at this point, Max is on the ground writhing in pain because he's had two of his fingers bitten off. Um, and once uh, once Drew kind of admits his, uh, his error or his cheating ways, Max instantly forgives him, says, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, I don't care, but the revelations are not done, my friends. So... Uh, after this, we are still transported to various parts of the world where people are watching the live stream. Like I said, the girl in the desert. It turns out she's in the deserts of Israel. So this thing is literally worldwide. There's people in South Korea, Israel, the U.S., you know, the U.K., all watching it. And, and the movie does a really good job to show us you know, kind of the scope of this uh, web show. You know, as as the shit gets crazier and crazier, their numbers continue to go up, blah, blah, blah. The demon then starts talking about how there's just so many sins and that she doesn't think that these guys will be able to save themselves because they have so much to confess. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's see, what happens after this? I believe... Um, Oh, right. At this point, uh, the feed starts to go down. Uh, basically, the viewership, numbers of the viewers starts to go down drastically. Like, they're losing tens of thousands of viewers, like, almost every second. They realize, um, Drew realizes that there's something wrong with the servers there, locally, where they are. And, they re and once again, Lane is um, the demon allows Lane to speak, and once again, Lane is saying, cut the feed, cut the feed, you have to stop the feed. Um, but Drew is literally in the process of fixing the feed, because, like I said, the numbers are going down. As it turns out, when he goes into the server room, there's a large cluster of cables that have been cut uh, for, you know, by nothing. Like, there's nothing there in the room. While he's there in the room repairing the cables, he realizes that the sound man is on the floor, passed out, and he's waking up. Um, at this moment, uh, he's he's looking he's still looking through cables, trying to find uh, disconnected cables. He finds the cluster of broken cables. He is then able to fix it quickly. Um, and at one point, he plugs one last cable in, and the whole thing goes green. Like, all the lights that were red are now green, and the feed is back up. Right after he gets the feed back up, he starts to hear something moving from behind one of the boxes of cables in the room. He moves the box slowly and out jumps what we assume is a rat. Uh, we don't get a really clear view of it. Uh, on this instance, but it basically just looks like a pink rat, um, you know, normal size, nothing special, just kind of runs out and out the room. Um, at this point, like I said, the feed is connected again, and we go back out to the main production area where Father Max and uh, the demon are face-to-face -face still, um, and the demon is basically still... Um, telling Max, tell the truth. You're not telling the truth. You know what I want you to hear. Um, so finally, uh, we get another flashback to Max and Drew back at Catholic school. Uh, it looks like they were kept for detention for some reason because they're the only ones in the classroom uh, with the teacher. 
and she has them once again reciting some prayer. Uh, Drew recites all his prayers perfectly. It seems like he's a model student. But then when Max goes up to speak his um, prayers, um, Drew starts mouthing the, the words to Max. And the, um, the nun notices that, uh, that Drew is helping Max, and he, flat, and he flat out tells him, stop, you cannot help him. And literally, she puts her head on top of Drew's head and starts slamming his fucking head into the desk over and over and over. Um, the last thing we see from this flashback is Max kind of charge at the nun, and then instantly we're brought back to present day where Ed and Drew are talking. They're still in the server room. Um, I keep saying Ed, the sound man. Uh, the little Mexican sound man or the little the Hispanic sound man. Possibly Asian. I'm not sure. Actually, he is Asian. He's totally Asian. I'm racist. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, our little Asian sound man, uh, basically, um, before he had passed out, he had seen something. Um, remember when he passed out while he was holding the boom mic? He was looking right at Lane and he saw something that freaked him out. That's what made him kind of pass out. At this point, Drew asks him, what the hell did you see? Tell me what you saw. Of course, um, you know, the sound guy doesn't want to repeat it because it's so awful, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then he finally says, okay, okay, I saw wings. It was a large bipedal creature with uh, a ram's head, uh, large wings, and a large demon tail, and a furry body. I think he mentions a furry body as well. Uh, Drew then runs out uh, to, uh, to the main production area, to his computer. He goes to the Devil's Database, and he enters that information. Wings, Devil's Tail, uh, Ram Head, blah, blah, blah. And he gets, uh, basically, he gets another big series of, uh, not big series, but, like, another list of, like, five or six different demon names. So they still have a few to choose from, but they're narrowing down the list as they go. At this point, um, the sound man uh, who was left alone in the server room, which actually doubles as the bathroom, is then attacked by something. Uh, you see these big black arms, humanoid arms, kind of reach out from under the bathroom stall and grab at the sound man. But he's like, you know, he's uh, kicking and screaming and trying to get um, trying to get away from it. Oh, the guy's name is Chris. Uh, the demon just said it. Cool. <laughs> so um, anyway, what ends up happening is um, the sound guy is seeing things that no one else in the room is seeing. And what is he seeing is those, uh, the rats uh, that we thought we saw in the earlier room. The only difference is these are much bigger. These are, uh, uh, the closest thing I could think of is these are the rats of unusual size from the princess bride, but they've been shaved. That's like the closest description I can give to these things. They're like dog size rat looking creatures that have no fur. They're just, pink and slimy. Anyway, um, the sound man, unfortunately, is the only one who sees these creatures. He sees the door open. Now, remember, this is the sound man that took 
uh, some drug the night before. Like I said, LSD, ecstasy. He took some kind of hallucinogen uh, the night before. So this could just be the drugs affecting him. Um, but he's he's starting to freak out because he's seeing doors in the studio open that no one else is seeing open. And when the doors open, out come maybe like five or six of these creatures. A couple of them are small, like they're still rat size, whereas a few of them are the larger kind of dog size creature. They are very CG. Um, they're okay looking. They're not the greatest creature design I've ever seen by any stretch, but we don't see them much more past this scene, so at least, you know, they don't abuse it. But, um,. So anyway, uh, like I said, the sound man is seeing this. He's seeing the creatures walk up to him, stalking him, walk up to them slowly. Uh, eventually, he pulls out a uh, like a box cutter, a straight razor, to defend himself. But no one knows what he's doing. He's just holding up this box cutter to, to invisible adversaries. Um. During this scene, it also cuts back and forth between Max, uh, Max's flashback and the present time. At this point, Max takes the sound man and tells him to kneel with him and pray. Uh, he, they do a very basic prayer, and when the sound man opens his eyes, all the creatures are gone. So he's obviously elated for a minute or so. But then he's attacked from behind by one of the creatures. One of the creatures jumps on his leg. And like I said, no one else in the room can see these things, only the sound man. So he takes the box cutter and he starts slicing at his leg, thinking that he's slicing at the creature. But then the camera uh, will change to the POV of the rest of the people on the set. And they see that he's just slashing at nothing. He slashes at his legs. Uh, one of them jumps on his chest. He starts slashing at his chest. Finally, one, one of them jumps on his shoulders and starts to bite him on the neck. And, of course, the sound man starts slicing at his neck. Unfortunately, he cuts his own jugular and bleeds out on the ground. That's the end of our sound man. At this point, uh, Father Max once again is yelling at the demon, asking, what do you want from me? I've confessed all my sins. I don't know what you want. Uh, again, the demon says to him quite cryptically, I want you to unburden uh, your guilt or something like that. Um, Father Max, walk uh, at this moment, a noose made out of electrical cables falls from the ceiling an actual noose, and then a stool slides under the noose. And again, uh, the demon is basically convincing Max to either confess your sins or take your life. That's the only way I, this girl survives this night. Uh, this girl, of course, being Lane, uh, the possessed girl. Father Max relents and walks up to the noose. He climbs up on the stool. He puts the noose around his neck. And he basically once again says, you know, I stand before you. He's speaking to his uh, viewers, of course, basically saying, I stand before you ashamed and broken man. I am imperfect. Um, but then suddenly people start hitting the like button, almost as to say that they forgive him. And then the demon basically says, okay, you know what? If you get 100% uh, uh, heart emojis or likes or whatever, I'll spare you. 
And for the next few minutes, we see the uh, Father Max confessing more things into the camera. They basically show everybody who's watching rapidly hit the like button over and over again. And it's making a meter on the screen kind of rise up. Now, throughout this movie, there's been a chest, a wooden chest in the production area where periodically people will hear a bang. But no one seems to look at it. So I don't know if it was something that was maybe set up by the production. But yeah, every now and again, it'll just be a single bang, like something's inside of this chest, armoire, um, what do you call it, uh, dresser, whatever you want to go with this thing. It's one of the tall ones. Um, so finally, as the father is standing on the stool with the noose around his neck, the banging starts getting louder and more frequent coming from within the cabinet. And uh, again, the priest is, or Father Max, is confessing his sin, talking about we're all human, we all err, blah, blah, blah. But then suddenly the cabinet opens and out walks um, the spirit from the blowjob scene earlier, the spirit that was missing one eye um, that scared him during the blowjob. That same spirit comes out of the cabinet, slowly walks up to Father Max and whispers in his ear, tell them the truth, Maxie. Specifically, she calls him Maxie, not Max. At this point, um, Father Max relents and tells um, and and confesses his biggest sin. And what that sin is, is uh, we go back and we, we go back to the flashback where we see the, the Catholic nun smashing Drew's head into the desk. And she's not stopping. I mean, she's just over and over again slamming Drew's head into the desk. Finally, um, uh, the camera uh, shows a close-up shot of Max's desk. And it shows a pencil roll off the desk onto the floor. At that moment, uh, little Max finally gets sick of watching the Catholic uh, nun slamming her friend's head into the desk, and he charges her and knocks her down. When he knocks her down, um, she doesn't move. She doesn't try to get up right away. She's just la- she's laying there. Excuse me, I got the hiccups, folks. <laughs> um, so um, when he goes to turn over the nun's body, the pencil that had rolled off of Max's desk is now firmly embedded in the nun's eye. So now... We understand why this spirit has been bothering Max and why she's missing an eye. Max inadvertently killed a nun in Catholic school. So take take from that what you will. As soon as Max um, kind of confesses this sin, the spirit of his teacher disappears and leaves him alone. And he keeps, he's still talking, kind of pleading with his audience, you know, you know, help me, help me survive this night, blah, blah, blah. And we see the likes going up. It goes up to 10%. It goes up to 12%. It goes up to 20%. Um, Like I said, we have to get to 100% uh, before the demon will allow Father Max to survive. Um, unfortunately, while Father Max is talking, I don't know if the demon just gets bored, uh, but basically, uh, the demon knocks the stool out from under Father Max, and he is now hanging by the neck, 
Um, but he's not dying right away. And I forgot to mention that Father Max is a fairly in-shape buff dude. Not like bodybuilder buff, but I mean, he's in good shape. So when he's hanging there, you know, he's obviously struggling and choking, but he's not dying right away. He was able to get his hands, like his fingers, right before he, right before the stool was kicked out from under him. He was able to get his fingers in between his neck and the wires, so potentially that helps him survive as long as he did. Um, he's hanging there, and uh, finally uh, the demon falls back in the chair, like the demon is struggling to get out of the chair. The chair falls backwards. She's still tied to the chair, but it's um, lying on the floor. And we get one last uh, bit of Laney, uh, you know, of the demon allowing Laney to speak, and he basically just looks at Drew and says, you're getting played, Drew. You're getting played. And then it kind of flashes back to a scene earlier where she said that exact line to him when, when she was talking about Max, that Max was playing him for his skills, but now something else is kind of playing with Drew. Um, at this point, Lainey um, closes her eyes, and it looks like she's died, passed away, because she's just laying there quiet. Max is still hanging. How Max survives for as long, I mean, because it, it had to be a good three to four minutes that he's hanging by the neck on this cable. But yeah, he's, um, he's able to survive. Or, I mean, he's still alive. Uh, like I said, we're still going back periodically to show people watching the stream from various parts of the world. We see the counter, uh, the viewer countership, and it says 12 million. They've hit the 12 million mark. There are 12 million people watching the stream. And basically, as soon as Drew realizes that he needs to cut the stream, he finally realizes that the demon is trying to do something grander than just possessing Lane. And he, he makes the realization that he has to stop the feed. At that moment, uh, the noose falls from the ceiling, the noose that Father Max is hanging on. And he's still alive. He gets up and he starts talking to the demon, um, basically saying to her what he th thinks she's trying to do. Um, this is the point where the demon says, I see everything. And you see kind of a light bulb go off on Drew's, like above Drew's head. He goes back to the devil's database. He types in, you know, all the other information that he's already typed in is still in there. Then he types in Oracle. And finally, it narrows down the names of the demons down to one name. And that name is Amon. A-A-M-O-N. Amon. So they finally have the name of the demon. Drew scrambles to find the right words, um, you know, the right passage of exorcism for this particular demon. Uh, the stream is back up. I forgot to mention the stream actually went down for a quick second because Aaron actually pulled the main cable. Uh, but then when he realized, oh, shit, we've got the demon's name, we might be able to exercise it, he, put, he puts the stream back on. And everyone and the viewership numbers are still going up over 12 million. He he finds an old demonology book and he finds the rites of passage for Amon, and he starts to type them into the teleprompter so that Max can uh, speak them. Unfortunately, before Drew can finish typing out uh, the full passage, 
the, the, the demon kind of attacks Drew and basically attacks him with all the cables that are hanging around all over the floor. Uh, basically um, wraps cables around him and drags Drew towards the chair. Drew, uh, Drew at this point is uh, choking. The demon has the cables wrapping around him tighter and tighter and tighter. And the demon is still looking at Max and saying, you still have more to tell. You could let him die or you can set him free. Tell the damn truth. Um, obviously, Max is basically saying, I don't know what else I, to say. I don't know what else to confess. I thought I confessed everything. Um, finally... Max figures out what exactly the confession that the demon is looking for is. At this moment, the demon um, allows Lane to have control of the body, uh, of her body again, and Max starts to basically confess his final sin. Lane says, no, don't you dare, don't say anything. Um, and then Max finally lets it out that uh, Lane and him had a relationship before uh, Drew and Lane were dating. So this isn't a cheating situation, mind you. This is just, they were dating, and they never told him. They just flat out never told him. And, of course, Drew reacts violently. He's still tied up by the cables. He's still getting strangled. But you can see the look on his face go from love to hate. He instantly is just pissed off at Max and at Lane. Lane basically makes the comment, don't let this come between us. And at the moment that she says that, uh, the demon once again comes back and takes control. Um, basically, at this moment, um, Father Max gets like a text or some kind of notification on his phone. He looks at it and instantly just kind of turns it off and puts the phone back in his pocket. Uh, Drew says, who was that? And Max, of course, lies and says, oh, wrong number. But then at that moment, all the monitors in the studio turn on to show uh, Lane getting undressed. Um, and uh, Father Max is the one uh, filming it on his cell phone, um, which again goes against what they literally just said. They literally just told Drew that they only dated a couple of times, nothing ever came of it, blah, blah, blah. They broke up long before they met Drew, but then here's the video proof of them fucking and uh basically lane lane who is lane at this point says to max i thought you fucking deleted that what is wrong with you uh max says i did delete it so you know of course the demon was able to display that video on all the monitors at this point there's Drew, no there's no bounds of the demon's power exactly <laughs> other than getting out of the chair apparently because she's still strapped to the damn chair anyway <laughs> All that was before she was seeing other guy, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. From what I got from the movie, everything that happened between Max and Lane was before they ever met. But because mm -hmm. they told him, you know, no more than a minute ago that nothing happened, they went on a couple of dates, blah, 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 nothing came of it. But then instantly the video comes up. It's like, yeah, Drew feels yeah. completely betrayed. That damn demon. <laughs> Uh, so at this point, Drew attacks Max. Um, the cables that were holding him down come undone, 
and Drew jumps on top of Max and starts to strangle him, basically saying, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to fucking kill you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then you hear the voice of the demon behind him saying, do it, do it. If you kill Max, I will let the girl go and I'll let you go. Um, and once again, we go up and look at the total viewership and we're up over the 15 million mark at this point. So over 15 million people are watching this. Uh, Drew, When Drew looks up and realizes that there's 15 million people watching it, he basically lets go of the chokehold but not completely so that it still looks to the demon like he's choking his friend. Uh, basically, Drew looks at him, at, at Max, and says, push the button, push the button. The button that he's referring to is a pair of glasses that he's wearing that are kind of like a portable uh, teleprompter, a teleprompter that somebody on screen can wear uh, like glasses, and they can see the words come up, but the camera doesn't pick it up. Um, so anyway, um, Max goes ahead and pushes the button on the glasses and grabs an earpiece um, from Drew's head and puts it in his own ear. And what that is is he turned on the teleprompter that Drew had just finished typing in all of the rites of uh, exorcism for Eamon. So finally, uh, they read everything they're supposed to read. Drew reads his part of the... Um, recitation and then max gets up and reads his part of it and you know the music starts to swell the lights are flashing you know it seems like it's coming to this big climactic moment and then father max finishes reading you know after all the lights have exploded and the movie goes to slow motion and everything else he finishes reciting the passage and then all the lights go out, and Lane, Lane's head just falls forward on the chair. Um, once again, they look at their viewership, and they see that they're near 16 million at this point. Um, but all the craziness has stopped. No more lights flashing, no demon voice, no nothing. Um, Drew thinks that it's over. He thinks that they've exercised the demon and he walks over to Lane to start to get her out of the chair. But then Lane goes full demon once again. This time, finally, she rips her straps easily, like I knew she could the whole damn movie, and jumps out of the chair. And she attacks Drew and starts beating Drew over and over again. Um... At this point, uh, they realize that they may have the wrong demon, and that's when Lane or Sabrina starts laughing at Father Max and says, I'm not aiming, you idiot. And at that moment, uh, after she basically makes the statement, I'm not aiming, uh, you guys remember the, the special effects guy that was burned alive earlier? His body mm -hmm. starts to move, um, and he actually gets up. Uh, and suddenly we get what's a, actually a pretty decent little transformation scene. Uh, we basically see a living dead uh, special effects guy stand up, and his eyes are glowing. They're glowing just like the, like the fires of hell. And Drew, and Drew and Max are going back and forth. We did it right. We, we had the right passage. What's going on? That's when he says, I'm not aiming, you moron. Um, 
blah 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 uh drew actually says but i but i i went to the database i got the i put in the right information blah 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 the demon then bends over looks drew right in the face and says you moron that's my list yes this demon whoever he is created the website the devil's database probably in in you know in, in an attempt to fuck over guys like this who are trying to find, uh, you know, information on exorcism and shit like that. So after he makes the revelation of he, him not being Eamon, he falls to all fours and then chunks of flesh start coming, falling off him. It actually looks like a werewolf transformation where the werewolf kind of pops out of the human skin, you know, a lot like late phases or company of wolves, kind of those kind of transformations. And suddenly we get this fucking eight foot ass demon standing up and he tells them he finally reveals who he is. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is no secondary demon. We have the man himself. Yes, the devil with all his horns standing, like I said, standing like eight feet tall, a jaw, a mouth full of sharp teeth. Um, and he he's displaying that weird skin effect I was talking about, where it looks like there's a fire burning under your skin or like embers. And uh, basically, you know, he, he, uh, he, he just kind of laughs at the three survivors, at Drew, um, at Drew, Max, and Lane. But then we see the devil walk over to the cluster of cables that was established earlier as the main feed. Uh, we see the devil grab that cluster, and then he looks directly into the webcam. And then it shows everyone around the world who's watching this, all 16 million people staring at the screen as the devil is also staring at the screen and reciting some passage in a language we don't understand. And then just as the live feed hits the one hour mark and ends, the devil grabs the cluster of cables and bites into them. And all the power goes out, the web feed goes out, everything goes out, but Lane wakes up, she's alive, Obviously, Max and Drew are still alive, um, obviously with some extra injuries. Father Max, minus two fingers, everything else. Uh, they're thinking, oh, shit, we did it. We got rid of him. Or, you know, he just decided to leave, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they think, of the, you know, they think that their horror is over. But, and there's, of course, a big but, what we get is after the after the devil bites into the cables and disappears, we then see all 16, well, not literally all 16 million, but basically all the people that we've been seeing throughout the movie, watching it on their mobile devices, suddenly their eyes all glaze over to look exactly like Lane's eyes. And lo and behold, everyone who was watching the webcast is now possessed. We then see them all... Uh, first, we see the little kid who was watching with his family. His eyes are glossed over. He grabs a butcher knife and he kills his mother, who's sleeping on the couch, I believe, after dinner. Uh, we see the black and the white girl from the night before. 
there at the bar where various people were watching along with them. They are going around killing everyone who wasn't watching. Uh, we go to the restaurant kitchen where the kitchen staff were all watching except for a couple. And, of course, they turn around, they grab cleavers and butcher knives and everything, and they just start taking out all the people uh, that weren't watching the feed. This is obviously going on all over the world. Like I said, some of the deaths are actually pretty cool. We get one guy whose face is pushed into a um, like the back tire of a motorcycle while it's spinning. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to see the actual death, but we get a nice blood splat out of that. Um, we see the girl who was in the desert um, with her with her husband changing the tires. She she walks up behind him with a crowbar and smashes his head open. Um, it's just uh, awesome awesome scene in my opinion. Just watching all these possessed people go off. Finally, we get the final scene of the movie, and this is the one that's causing a lot of controversy and some contention online about the actual meaning of this scene. So what we see is we see a little boy with a teddy bear, a big brown teddy bear, covering his face, walking down the hall. As he's walking down the hall, we start seeing all these portraits of ex-presidents, Washington, Jefferson, Madison. They, he walks by all of them. Finally, he walks up to a door that's labeled Oval Office. Yes, my friends, we are in the fucking White House. Uh, this little kid, um, I think, as it turns out, is the son of the president. Now, the little kid walks into the Oval Office, and we see him drop the teddy bear and pull a knife out from his pocket. He runs right towards his father sitting at the desk, and we don't see it, but we hear the sound effects. We hear him stab his father over and over again. We hear the Secret Service pull out their guns and start shooting, but the little boy never falls. Basically, everybody else in the room falls down. The last thing that we see is as the little boy walks out of the room, we see the, um, uh, the symbol of the President of the United States of America on the floor confirming that the President has just been killed by an eight-year-old possessed boy. Now, obviously because of the political times that we're in and everything else, we, I've had a lot of people talk about that this is a political statement, that this director obviously doesn't like Donald Trump and that this was kind of his kind of, you know, half-hearted way of getting revenge on the president. I completely disagree. The reason that I disagree is multiple reasons. A, we don't ever get to see the president. We don't actually see him. Uh, that particular shot is shot from a very low angle, so we only see the legs of the adults while we see the boy walking towards the guy's desk. Um... So, again, it's not like he's making a statement about a particular president. I think that what the director was going for was he wasn't trying to make a political statement against Donald Trump. I think he was just trying to show us the scope of this possession and the fact that the most powerful man in the world was just killed by a possessed eight-year-old. That I mean, when you really sit and think about that, that's fucking terrifying because if this thing, obviously if this actually happened in the real world, if they took out the president in the very first hour 
after everybody was possessed, yeah, we're fucked. We're completely fucked. So, um, so that's the, that, like I said, that's the scene that's kind of giving a lot of people um, kind of pause. Maybe a, a lot of I've heard a lot of like Republicans saying that this is an anti-Republican movie because of that scene and that some people are actually boycotting it, boycotting it, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, what do you guys think about that scene specifically? I'm with you. I, I look at it much more as just the scope of evil. Yeah. Yeah, that makes much more sense because it's, you know, if it was a direct ploy on the current situation, then it would actually be a lot closer to the actual relationship that, you know, we know for a fact. Yes. It wouldn't be an eight-year-old kid. It would be, you know, either Ivanka or Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, and it, they it would... seemed pretty ambiguous. Yeah, I think a lot of people are saying that because pre the president does have a young son, I'm not sure how old Barron is, but I, he's probably like 12 or 13 by now, maybe even older. So that was the thing that I was hearing, that because this president does have a young son and then they have that scene, that that's what they were going for. But like I said, yeah, I, I totally Baron. disagree with that assessment. Baron? Who's Baron? Uh, Trump's youngest he, son, Baron Trump. I thought he only had... I thought no, he he's had... got a bunch of kids. I mean, no, there's I thought, his, I thought his legitimate ones were just Ivanka and Donald. No, the, uh, Ivanka, Donald, and Eric are his adult Eric. children. But then yeah. he has... Eric. Uh, I think he's got a daughter named Tiffany, Tiffany, I think. Is with, Tiffany is with Marla Maples. Baron is with Melania. Right. Exactly. Baron is the only one he's had with his current wife. Tiffany's, like, college-aged, and yep. Baron's, like, what, 10, 11? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, by, I think he was, like, I want to say he was, like, 11 or 12 when the president won the election. So, you know, he might be 14, 15 now, somewhere in that range. I'm not sure. Uh, I, uh, obviously, yeah, I've never even heard the, the, the three kids you always see in the media, those are the ones from his first marriage. Yeah, those are the ones that are actually like adult age. Businesses, so. Yeah, they're all like around my age. Yep. Exactly, yeah. So, anyway, um, there is one more quick little scene in the movie. Uh, basically, we go back to the production location. Uh, they're closing everything up. They're putting all the lights and shit away. And it's just like a, another little wink and a nod type scene where Father Maxi looks on his phone and he sees that he now has over 5 million followers on Twitter. And he has his little blue verified check and he just smiles and the movie ends. So I don't know if that's a happy ending uh, for him. I mean, I guess he got what he wanted ultimately. Except that now the cleansing hour is, you know, I'm sure it's in shambles. They're never going to be able to do it again. Um, but yeah, it was true. But he could he could cultivate his new fame into something new. Probably is why he smiled. Well, now he could be an actor. I mean, people people now know that he's been acting like a priest for the last however many years. Maybe he'll actually get legit acting gigs now. Who knows? But yeah, that is the cleansing hour, 2020. So did you think that whole ending sequence where, with everyone getting possessed was supposed to be subtext of oh, the voyeuristic nature of people and all that stuff? Not even the voyeuristic it's nature, kind of like the, the zombie factor of it all. You know, we're all zombies when we're looking at our phones. We're not, you know, we basically listen to whatever the uh, the big celebrity of the week says. You know, we listen we listen to Kardashians and, and Jenners and, you know, well, yeah, it, the internet. It, it kind of seems like what... Um, Maybe what 
30, anywhere from 30 to 50 years ago, the commentary on what television does to you now, yeah. it's the same, but with the internet. Exactly, yeah. Or, Another thing kind of extended say, periods. I mean, not, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah, Another thing I kind of noticed about this ending, it, it's mildly similar to the end of Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. I don't know if you guys remember the end of that, where our mm-hmm. final two girls kind of shared the game online so that they yeah. can avoid having to... De- Obviously, it's not the same situation. Unfortunately, they get it on I remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't believe I remember that, damn, <laughs> that much of it, but yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool how they utilize the internet in truth or dare to get out of their curse whereas here the the devil wants to spread his curse through the internet so yeah. well i'm saying it to, uh, to me like i was saying earlier i would have actually liked it if we would have gotten in without the coda about him getting the check mark sure <laughs> i think that's that's the thing they spend the first 20 minutes of this movie showing us what an absolute douchebag this guy is this is what this is the point I was trying to make during my general thoughts earlier. If they wouldn't have spent that uh, karaoke scene establish, and then the scene the next morning with the blowjob, if they didn't establish him to be such an asshole, I might have cared about him more. The scene where he was hanging from the noose, it might have meant more to me if I thought that he's just a, a former minister who's broken or somebody who's lost their faith, which technically he is, but he turned into a complete womanizing asshole. So I have no sympathy for him. That that's what that's why I'm saying that I feel like the movie did a disservice. They should have been a little bit more ambiguous about uh, the you know the priest and his personality, and and maybe let it come out more during the actual exorcism that he's an asshole, that he's a womanizer, blah blah blah. Then the confessions would have meant more too, because ultimately uh, the reveal that him and Lane actually had a relationship. That wasn't any kind of fucking reveal. We all got that just from their first interaction together. We knew they had a past. But Drew, in his dumb, innocent ways, you know, apparently didn't see it. But, I mean, to me, it was obvious. Uh, And I'm sure to a lot of viewers, it was probably obvious. Um, So, yeah, um, Father Maxie's character is probably the only one. I mean, they turned him into a caricature in the first act, you know? And then they, and then in the second and third act is where they do a complete 180 and try to make him a somewhat likable, sympathetic character. But by then it's too late. By then I hate him already. And I'd rather just see him die. And that's the yeah, problem when you set him there up. Was definitely, mm-hmm. There was definitely, like, tropes. Um, I, one, one trope I'm just getting tired of because it seems like whenever there's like a trio of characters that know each other, it's like we always have like either the one pair that's in a relationship, but oh, someone was involved with it. It's either infidelity, or in this one, they didn't go necessarily for the infidelity, but they went for like the oh, but the other two were in a relationship first. I'm just like, do we need that? Like, come yeah. on, there's other ways to like fill out the characters and like that yeah. same old trope. But at the same time, though, I kind of appreciate the fact that nothing about this movie is ambiguous. I mean, yeah, they they kind of reveal more plot elements as the movie goes along. But this movie is not subtle. This this movie is as subtle as a fucking brick to the head. And that's what I like about it. There's no pretense. There's no um, I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say, but it's just it's very straightforward in your face. They're not trying to trick you. They're not trying to fuck with you. 
Um, like I said, it's not ambiguous or subtle at all, and that's one of the high points of the film for me. All right. Oh, by the way, I'm I'm so sorry. We skipped my favorite death of the whole movie because it's it goes by so quick. But death by flying Virgin Mary statue. That's fucking wow. awesome. <laughs> uh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the uh, the special effects um, guy, his niece, the pretty blonde. She did. She does eventually get hers, but it's so quick and they they gloss over it that I completely forgot about it in my. Uh, little walkthrough but yeah at one point she basically decides fuck this i'm gonna leave um as she's leaving you kind of see the demon crack a little bit of a smile and then just kind of um lift a finger like literally lift a finger and then a a fucking virgin mary statue comes flying off the shelf right into the back of her head and embeds itself in there i thought that was actually kind of cool i can't forgot i can't believe i forgot to mention it but yeah i like that scene <laughs> and it sucks too because she actually turned out to be helpful too <laughs> yeah that's yeah. true <laughs> but yeah I think I'm done I've gotten out everything I can I mean like I said it's it's a 94 minute movie it, it it runs it runs a little slow early on like I said that first act you gotta deal with the fake exorcism you gotta deal with the character development that I feel is completely unnecessary but you know again who cares this is easily a 94-minute movie that they could have trimmed by 10 minutes, and it would have been just as good. And like I said, uh, check out the short, uh, the original short that this film was based on from 2016, also called The Cleansing Hour. It's a quick watch. It's only 18 minutes, and you, you, you kind of see the bare bones of this story, and then you see what they added to it um, You know, with, with the feature-length film. So it's kind of a cool little journey to go on. Agreed. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up our thoughts on the cleansing hour in this episode, but let's find out what everyone's been up to. Venom, do you have anything new out since our last recording? About the only thing that we have coming is uh, I recorded a new episode of It's Not Horror Okay, the commentary podcast that I do with... Neil Lemoy and the folks from the Friday Nightmares podcast and the Android Vision Horror Show. Uh, we looked at 1981's Nighthawks, starring Sylvester Stallone, Billy D. Williams, and Rucker Hauer as one of the best movie villains ever, the terrorist Wolfgar. Um, check out that. It's not quite out yet. It should be out sometime this week. Unfortunately, I know that movie is not easy to find. There is no Blu-ray release of it, to my knowledge. Uh, there might be a DVD release, so hopefully if you guys have access to Nighthawks, check out our commentary. should be out later this week. And then I know the next episode of the main show, No More Room in Hell, will be recorded this coming weekend. Uh, it's going to be our historic episode number 25, and it only took us three years to get there. Woo! Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of Derek's picks, which are uh, a pair of 2005 Asian horror films. One is called Tokyo Zombie, and the other is Executive Koala. So check that out on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network sometime, I would say, late next week. And then after that, of course, as usual, no more room in hell. We have our Halloween and Christmas commentaries that we do every year. 
Uh, that won't be out until the week of Halloween, even though it's already recorded. And uh, Mike, Derek, and myself did a commentary for the 2015 found footage film Hell House LLC, which actually turned out to be a really good time. I had a blast with that one, so check that out uh, closer to uh, Halloween. And everything else on my docket is either on hiatus or on, you know, <laughs> potential graveyard. So we'll see. Um, yeah, the man of many podcasts doesn't have that many podcasts anymore. That's kind of upsetting. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if I'm a jinx. <laughs> Am I the one making people retire and quit podcasting? Damn it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, check out that stuff um, on the Dark Discussions Network, and uh, I still have guest spots coming up on uh, Cinema Beef, or not Cinema Beef, uh, Two Drink Minimum Podcast, um, and uh, the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror, I'll be uh, doing an episode of Italian Horror Month with them, or Italian Directors Month, I should say. And um, that'll be out probably sometime around Thanksgiving. So we got some time for that one. But yeah, that's it from me, guys. All right. How about you, Don? All right. Um, the only one that I have of any um, interest is a uh, recently released episode of Bay of Blood, which was a four part look at several HP Lovecraft adaptations. Um, Venom was uh, one of the guests on the show. We also had um, Rob from uh, the um, Body Bags uh, YouTube channel. Uh, he, the, he and uh, me, Will and Glenn, uh, we all looked at uh, four different H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. We did From Beyond, The Resurrected, The Call of Cthulhu, and Color Out of Space. So uh, that one, I think, was released either yesterday or today the night we're recording so it's uh, out now and uh available on uh dark discussions so uh other than that uh you know there's a few other episodes i've recorded that um uh we were talking with venom before we recorded that uh I know I, I say that we've recorded like four or five episodes that have yet to been released. Um, I'm imagining that that's due to the fact that those episodes were just spur of the moment, hey, you up, let's record something kind of shows. Whereas uh, the Lovecraft episode that we recorded a few weeks ago is the uh, big highlight episode in our catalog, so that one's got priority. But um, other than that... Uh, not much else is uh, going on other than uh, apparently showing up here every Monday. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah, as far as me, pretty much just fresh cuts and no more room in hell at the moment. Uh, I think I'll be working on getting back on Twenty Two Shots eventually, but uh, I know they have like certain things planned out because November is their Italian month, so I think. Booked, but I'm fine. I'm good. I mean, with everything I got going on, sticking to my two shows is not a problem for me. But uh, with that said, what do we got on the horizon? I know uh, what Mortuary Collection is it called? Yeah, that one sounds on interesting, Shutter? and I like anthologies, especially in October. Yeah, gotta redeem yeah. ourselves after Book of Blood. Yes, God, something. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so I would say that's the odds-on favorite to do next. It's another one on Shutter. so anyone listening to this, um, you have 
and they have opportunity to watch it ahead of time. So, that, yeah, that'll probably be it. I never say 100% just because you never know, but we're, we're definitely leaning towards that. But that's all I got for this episode, so it's time to get out of here, guys. Hey, goodbye to the listeners. Later. Adios and hail Satan. I don't know, but I've been told the streets of hell are paved with gold. Crazy, crazy. You told me that nothing's free except my own insanity. Drink to my